Good morning, Rio Vista. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Well, my name is Sam Kasten-Smith, and I'm the pastor of education here at Rio Vista Community Church. Uh, And it's my privilege to get to share with you in this Advent uh, a passage that this week has really been getting in my business in a good way. And I hope it gets in your business a little bit too, because this is a marvelous passage. Just the tenderness of God, the way he moves in with his people, the way that he draws near, the way that he overcomes and brings victory and peace. But I love the tenderness of the way that he treats this young teenage girl, Mary. At this time, when we come to this passage, at the time of Jesus' birth, or the announcement of his coming, there's this intense longing for the coming of the Messiah that Israel has been marinating in for centuries. It had been six centuries since the last time somebody from the line of David had sat on the throne over Israel. It had been four centuries since the last prophet had brought a word from God. Israel had been dominated by Babylonians and Persians and Greeks and Romans. And no doubt, the Israelites who were alive in Mary's day are looking back at the prophets who wrote 400, 500, 600, 700 years earlier that were all promising that God was not going to forsake his people, that he was going to bring about a Messiah, a Savior, a King that was going to deliver them from oppression, that was going to bring about an eternal kingdom of righteousness and justice and hope and salvation. They held on to those promises of the prophets that a Savior was coming. And that longing is what we celebrate at Advent when the name Advent literally means coming. And so for us, we enter in and we celebrate Advent by looking back and entering into their experience of how they must have felt Longing for God to come and make things right in this world. Longing to break through the darkness and to bring light and hope and salvation. But we also look forward to his coming again. Where all the ugliness that you see in this world, all the pain, all the death, all the tears, all the disease, all the hatred, all the animosity, all the dysfunction, wiped away in a moment when he returns. Do you long for that? Can you echo the Apostle John who says, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come That's what we celebrate this Advent. And in Luke 1, the angel Gabriel is sent to this young virgin girl with the announcement that he was going to bring forth this promised Savior King in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And when she asked Gabriel, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. His response is powerful. And today I want to talk with you as we go through the story. One of the things that I want you to get, because we look back at Mary and we go, oh my goodness, look what happened to her. That's amazing. And it is. 
But the scriptures are inviting you that even this morning, God is inviting you into that very same experience. You and I have a lot in common with our dealings with God that Mary had. And so the angel Gabriel answers her question and he says something that would have blown Mary away. We read right past it because like David said, we're used to these passages. But the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In that moment, Mary is going to be blown away. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary says, hold on, let me think about it. No, Mary immediately, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I want to summarize what's going on here. When this angel comes and says, you're highly favored of God. He's chosen you. He loves you. And he wants the rest of your life. He wants to turn your world upside down. He's going to take all the things that you're comfortable with. He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to toss them over, Mary. You in? And I want to address three reasons by the end of this narrative why we see that Mary is absolutely all in. And every one of these reasons is true for you. The first one. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Hey, Mary, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. You know what she's hearing? Because this is a woman who is so in love with the Scriptures. Later in this passage, when she breaks out and sings the Magnificat, it's ten verses. And in those ten verses, she cites twelve verses of the Old Testament. This is somebody who, if you prick, she just bleeds Scripture. She loves the promises of God. She knows them inside and out. She can just belt out in song of a medley of all of them. So she knew what this meant. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Her, immediately, she's like, oh my goodness. You know, right now in the podcast, Out of Water, that this church produces, Mark and I are walking through the book of Judges. Let me give you a sampling of what it means when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. The first judge that shows up on the scene, Othniel, right? There's this empire that's coming against them, the Matanis. It looks like game over. But the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Othniel. Guess what happened? Well, Othniel overthrew oppression and he brought victory and peace to his people. You fast forward and you get to another judge. And the Midianites and the Amalekites are coming against. And it seems like all hope is lost. The nation's gone. The people of God are defeated. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And guess what happened? Gideon overthrew oppression. And he brought victory and peace to his people. And you go a little bit further, and the Ammonites come, and my goodness, now game over, it's the Ammonites. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. 
You know what happened? Jephthah overthrew oppression and brought victory and peace to his people. And then the Philistines come against the Israelites and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Guess what happened? He overthrew oppression and brought victory and peace to his people. Then the people demand a king. And so the prophet Samuel comes to David and anoints him with oil in the midst of all of his brothers. And then you hear, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And what happened? He overthrew all oppression, expanded the kingdom of God. He brought victory to his people and he left a legacy for his son Solomon, whose name literally means peace. The wealthiest, the greatest kingdom in the Old Testament. You see, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody, big things happen. You will never, and I want you, I challenge you, you will never in the scriptures find a passage that says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him or her, and nothing happened. Nothing changed. Things went as normal. Everything continued to spiral out of control. God has gotten in my business this week. In this story, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon Mary. Guess what's going to happen? The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon Elizabeth. Guess what's going to happen? She's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, our King, the one who comes to give everything for us. He's going to be baptized in the Jordan. He's going to be taken out and put to temptation in the wilderness. And when he gets done with that, his very first sermon that he ever preaches in Luke 4, when he goes to the synagogue of Capernaum, you know what the first words out of the mouth of our Savior are? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to overthrow oppression. He's going to bring victory and peace. He's going to bring salvation. He's going to transform the world from a gloomy desert to a hopeful garden. He's going to save us, purchase us at his own expense. He's going to let his life be radically overturned to follow the will of God, to bring about something beautiful because God's mission was most important. And so you look back and you, you think, you know, the Spirit of the Lord came upon all these people. The, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And she's like, I know how that goes. I'm in. I got news for you. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't just go to the cross to take your sins and make it so that you could go to heaven. That's part of it. Jesus came into the world to take your sins. If you come to him by faith, he will take your sins. He will clothe you in his, crazy, his righteousness. Do you know why? Because when Jesus is resurrected and ascended into heaven, he had given a promise. I'm going to send the helper. I am going, I've cleansed you. I've made you utterly and perfectly righteous, and now you are a worthy 
temple for the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, do you know the implications of this, right? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The Lord has come to you and said, I love you. You are highly favored. I want the rest of your life. I want you to live in a way that's turned totally upside down so that you can take my beauty to the ends of the earth and I'm going to make amazing things come through you. And oh, by the way, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Do you believe that? If you are a child of the King, if you have given your life to Him by faith, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And so the rest of the New Testament is going to have this conversation. Paul and Peter and all these guys are going to talk about what are the implications of that? What are the implications of that? So I've got this battle that's going on inside me between my flesh, my kingdom, my will, what I want, and the Spirit. Jesus is going to tell me that I've got to crucify all this selfishness over here so that he can live through me, so that the Spirit who is upon me can shine through me to the rest of the world. And gosh, like the Spirit's getting in my business this week because I choose this junk way too often. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, Sam. What's changing? And so I've been going around this week constantly. I mean, this sounds a little weird, but I've been going around this week. Like anytime something frustrates me, anytime somebody's annoying me, under my breath going, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Ezekiel 600 years before Jesus comes, this is the promise of God to you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my rules. And so like I told you, I'm going around thinking, it's just crazy that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He dwells in me. Like, this should affect my behavior. Lord, help me to crucify this more and more and deliver you. I'm gonna, I, want, I want to do great things. I want to, I want to be the one who puts down oppression. I want to be the one who brings victory and peace to people. I want to be the one who expands the kingdom. And last Friday, as I'm putting some of this stuff together in my mind, I have an awful day, discouraging, deflating, and I just think to myself, I don't want to do this anymore. And a friend of mine sends me an article written by a blogger that I absolutely love, this guy. His name's Tim Challies. And I'm reading 
the blog, and, and he's just lost a son. His son was up at college in Louisville, and he was out in the field. He's playing with his fiance. He's playing with his sister and a bunch of friends, and he just collapses and dies. And so Tim Challies writes about the raw pain of what that has done to him and his family. And as I'm going through entering into this guy's pain, he just starts praising God. And he starts saying, like, like Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to use this to, to glorify his name. And I'm on a walk, I'm on a walk with my wife, Laura, and I'm like, I can't handle the dumb, petty thing that happened to me today without spiraling. And here he is, and he's just lost a son. And he's walking in unbelievable faithfulness. Like, if that ever happened to me, how in the world, if I spiral at this, how in the world could I ever have faith like that? My wife and I have these conversations when we walk, and they're really wonderful. And, and after talking about it, we came to this realization. You know the reason why I do this at the dumb things over here? You know, when something massive comes into your life, when, when a gut punch, something that's life-changing, something super tragic, what does the believer do? You can't go through that alone, man. You're looking for any remedy. You throw yourself headlong to the Lord and say, I don't have strength to deal with this. Please, Spirit of the Lord, help me. Give me peace. Help me to find some hope in this. And you don't even think about relying on your own strength. You grab hold of him with everything you've got. And it's amazing when you watch believers who grab hold of the Lord and the Spirit in those moments to watch what kind of peace and joy they exhibit in the middle of the worst grief. Yesterday I performed a funeral and watched as this friend of mine buried his wife. And you think, how in the world can you have such peace in the middle of the tears and praise God? It's in those moments, those mighty moments, that you draw near to the Spirit and you're all in. But we are stupid enough creatures to think that in the mundane over here, I got it. Oh, and, and the daily taking care of the kids and doing the laundry and going to work and dealing with my boss and, and going through all the, the frustrations and discouragement and the deflation and oh my goodness, what's happening over here? Well, that's a normal life. I got this one, Lord. And that's the stuff that tears us apart. That's the stuff that sends us into the depression. And the Lord is like, you're too weak to handle the mundane. You need me for the big stuff. You need me for the gut-wrenching stuff. But you're too weak to handle the simple. Draw near to me. Lean on me. Let me be your strength. Always. Walk through your day in the mundane, leaning on me, relying on me, allowing the spirit that is upon you to strengthen you and shine through you. Abide in me. 
Jesus in his earthly ministry says this, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And how much do we try to do in our own flesh? We can't. It'll tear us apart. We can't handle the mundane. We need him. It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh, your strength on your own is no help at all. And the mundane is 99% of life. Grab hold of the spirit. Let him move in your life. And so reason number one, Mary's looking at a Lord who's saying, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And she's like, I know how that ends. I'm in. The spirit of the Lord upon me? Oh, I'm in. Reason number two, and I love the tenderness of God here, is the Spirit empowers Mary in this story by giving her a Spirit-filled friend. Luke 1, verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose, newly pregnant, terrified, tons of implications to this. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into a town of Judah. This is a good 70-mile trip that this teenage girl takes. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. These are the parents of John the Baptist. Zechariah has just been confronted by Gabriel in the temple. I love this. And when the Spirit heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's powerful. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you get what's going on here? Think of the tenderness of God toward Mary at this moment. God comes to Mary, or Gabriel comes to Mary, and lays this like life-changing news down on Mary. And she's carrying it all alone. Joseph is not in yet, and on the picture. She's carrying it all alone. She's got to be terrified. She makes this 70-mile trek to the house of Elizabeth. And guess who beat her there? The Spirit of the Lord. Isn't that cool? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Elizabeth and inspires her to speak the very words Mary needed to hear in that moment. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Mary to hear from another person she respected? All the fear. Here's the wife of one of the major priests of Israel who's saying, Blessed am I among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Like, I'm not even worthy to be with you. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed. Mary, you. Blessed are you who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now I want to stop there. Real briefly, the Lord sent the Spirit to take up residence in Elizabeth so that she could then speak a word of encouragement to take the Lord's message and lift up this sister in the Lord, Mary, exactly what she needed to hear. Because you know what happens next? After Elizabeth gives these Spirit-inspired words to Mary, Mary's going to break forth in song of praise. That applies to us too. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, not just for our own sake. 
It's to take that good news, that mercy, that gospel, that wonderful news that God loves you no matter what you're going through. And to take that to our brothers and sisters who are scared, who are hurting, who are alone. And the Spirit goes ahead of Mary to make sure she's comforted by the words of Elizabeth. How tender. So from this point, Mary breaks forth in song. And her first words of the Magnificat, first words of her praise song, we're not going to go through the whole thing. But she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I love that. You know what that means? I mean, there's two ways you can magnify something. Like you can magnify something like you take a magnifying glass over a piece of paper or a microscope and something small you can see. But there's another kind of magnification. And this is the one I think of here. It's when you take a telescope and you go outside and you look at something that's so vast and seemingly immeasurable, that's so glorious but so far away that it's like, what relevance does that have to me? It's galaxies and a universe that's light years and light years and light years away. But when the Spirit comes upon you, your soul takes that which is transcendent takes that which is so far beyond your ability to grasp and your soul grabs it and it draws it close as though it's right here. My soul takes the Lord, this glorious transcendent Lord, and brings him near. And now I just look at him. He's right close to me. He's imminent. He's he's with me. And I just revel in his beauty. Man, have you seen him? He's so amazing. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The whole immaculate conception thing, Mary didn't need, no, Mary needed a Savior. She's amazed that she has one. She's overwhelmed with worship that she has one. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, Growing in my womb, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And there's reason number three. Reason number one, the spirit of the Lord is upon you, true for you. Reason two, God has surrounded her with a spirit-filled community that encourages her and lifts her up and points her to the word and the Lord. That applies to you. You have that too. And the last one here. Mary is blown away that a God like that would want someone like her. Are you surprised by the gospel? I don't think you get it if you're not. A God that beautiful, surrounded by angels, infinite in all of his attributes, looks at me. (laughs) and says, Sam, you are highly favored. I'd give the life of my son for you. I'm sending my spirit upon you. What? You would look on somebody who's of this humble estate? And Mary's response is what? 
I'm your servant. I'm all in. Like, may it be done unto me according to your word. Like, whatever you want. I I see who you are. Like, whatever you want. You're going to change my whole life? Because, by the way, this is not just, hey, nine months and you're going to have a baby and then you'll be done. Like, no, this is going to define everything for the rest of her life. If you understand the implications of what the gospel means, God isn't coming to you saying, hey, make an intellectual decision. He's saying, come to me, and it's going to affect everything about you. It's going to change everything about you. It's going to define the rest of your life. And only somebody who looks at him and sees how wonderful and how beautiful he is and recognizes how needy we are can say, I'm your servant. Like, oh my goodness, me? You want me? I'm in. I'm in. What do I have to do? May it be done unto me according to your word. Is that your relationship with the Lord? All too often, it's not mine. Should be. Now, I remember when I was in college, this is very, probably an inappropriate illustration. But I remember when I was in college, I'm not proud of this story, the first one at least. When I was in college, I went out on a first date with a girl that I was interested in. I worked at Walmart in a sporting goods store in college, UF, go Gators. I'm in mourning right now from last night. But I liked this girl. She was fun, sweet, cute. We go out, and at the end of our date... She stops, looks me in the eye and says, Sam, I think I'm falling in love with you. And it took everything in me not to jump out of the moving car. (laughs) What? Because what I heard is, hey, Sam, I want the rest of your life. And I thought to myself, no. I like, I like where I'm at. I like my life. I don't, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to change all my stuff. And I'm committophobic, right? And so it's like, you're going to demand stuff from me. Get away, get away, get away. I feel trapped. I feel smothered. I changed departments. How horrible of a human being am I? 13 years ago, I was on the third date with my wife, Laura. She looks at me. I've got her permission, by the way. Don't send me hate mail. She looks at me and and she says, is it safe for me to assume that we're in this relationship together with the possibility of marriage? And you know what happened? Everything in me wanted to run. Everything. Commitophobic. Because what I heard was, hey, Sam, I want the rest of your life. Oh, that's going to mean I'm going to have to change a lot of stuff. I'm not sure but it was different this time because I was way more terrified of not having her than I was of losing anything else. And I look back 13 years now and what a stupid response even that was. She is the delight of my life. Yeah, she's upended my life. Things have changed a lot. She's the delight of my life. I gladly would turn my life upside down to have her after being at this funeral yesterday and watching this man bury his wife. I can't even go there. I love her so much. She's so good. And 18 years ago, the Lord of glory 
came to me and said, Sam, I love you. You're highly favored. I want the rest of your life. And it was terrifying. (laughs) Because I knew there was a lot that needed to be thrown upside down. But when I looked at him and how much he loved me and how wonderful he was, What a fool to walk away from that, to cling to all the mess. When he's offering me himself. And he comes and he says, I want the rest of your life. Mary goes on and she says, there's kind of some bad news to this. She says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry. Are you hungry? Do you recognize your need for a savior? He's filled those people with good things. They long for him and he satisfies. But the rich, he sends away empty. It's the people who come to him and say, I don't need it. My life's satisfying. I got everything I need. Those people go away empty. Think of the rich young ruler. D.L. Moody says this, God sends no one away empty except those who are already full of themselves. Do you recognize your desperate need? Do you recognize how wonderful he is? What a treasure. Grab him. Let go of the mess. And I'll leave you, I'll close with this. God does not ask anything from you that you are not absolutely guaranteed to lose on your own. Let me say that again. God does not ask anything from you that you are not guaranteed to lose on your own. Life, wealth, reputation, you're guaranteed to lose them. Give those things to him and you're guaranteed to keep them forever. And so like Mary, I want you to hear this. I want you to say this to yourself. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. God has surrounded you with spirit-filled people to point you to him. And he's come to you and said, I love you. You're highly favored. I want the rest of your life. Do you think that's a good deal? If so, grab hold of him and let the spirit overtake you. Put to death the things of the flesh and let him live through you in the mighty things and in the mundane things. And he will do mighty things through you. Let me pray. Father, may the Spirit of the Lord fall upon your people. May we be overwhelmed like Mary to stand in front of you and to see, oh my goodness, this God, this God of infinite measure looks at me, loves me, has shown his favor to me, has given his life for me, offers his Spirit to me. 
Help us not treat that like it's a trivial offer that might influence our lives a little bit, but help us to see that as one where God is coming and saying, I want everything. And for us, with delight, to respond, oh my goodness, I am your servant. (laughs) I can't believe you want me. May it be done unto me according to your word. Amen.